Today's video features a chat with Walter, a Spanish native speaker, and we delve into the various experiences and challenges he faced while learning English. We talk about how hobbies and interests really connect with language learning, and Walter discusses the fluidity of accents and how living in different regions has really honed his ability to detect differences in accents in Spanish, and how something I can tell you so much about a person's origin. We talk about pronunciation, ear training, and all the unique intricacies that English has to offer in accent coaching. And this is not just a discussion of language, it's almost like a masterclass in understanding language beyond just words. And I really hope you find it as fascinating as I did. I'm Bianca, your personal American accent coach, and I'm here to help you master an American accent in English, because your voice is your choice when it comes to how you sound. I release a podcast episode every two weeks, so you should subscribe to whatever podcast platform you use so that you don't miss any new episodes. And by the way, if you want to see the full video version of the episode, it's available at Accent Coach Bianca on YouTube. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome. Today we're talking to Walter. And Walter, we're talking about a lot of things that are related to language learning. Can you start by telling us a little bit about some of the languages that you've learned in the past and what your journey was like there to get us started? Bianca, thank you for the invitation. Really appreciate it. I'm a native Spanish speaker, so I was born and raised in Argentina, so Spanish is my first language. And my second language was English. And I started learning in the school as everybody in Argentina. But on top of that, I also had private lessons. And during my teenage years, I had many years of private lessons. But I would say that I started learning and owning my learning after my 20s. And that's when I started reading more blog articles or reading books in English, using more content in the language and adding more of my um, materials that I enjoyed that were outside the classroom. That's how it all started. I love how you said owning my language because a lot of us are taught in school. We don't really have much choice about the matter and we have to take these languages that are forced upon us. But at a certain point, we get to decide what we want to do in life. And when you said own your language, I thought that was a great turn of phrase that you used there. What was that like for you, if you can talk a little bit more about that decision to be like, oh, actually, I don't have to do this. I really like this. Because then we can talk about what that means to kind of learn a language on your own terms. Yeah. At a certain point, I think that was on, on my early 20s when I was finishing high school, I started reading content that piqued my interest in English. Even when I started taking private lessons as a teenager, that was my intention. I wanted to be able to learn and to read about all the topics that weren't available in Spanish online. That was at the beginning. But then I found out that it wasn't like I didn't care about what I was reading because I needed to read about something that piqued my interest and that was compelling. And that's when I realized that I can learn the things that are interesting to me and I can read them the way I want because I noticed that everybody else around was learning English or getting better at it, watching Friends, for example, watching series. But somehow, for some reason, I wasn't so interested in that. And I prefer reading. Strangely enough, for me, my reading was my main media or improving my, my English and my comprehension. That's something that a lot of people maybe don't realize as a young person. We were often trying to fit in with others and, oh, all my friends are watching Friends. And so I'll watch Friends. But really, we have kind of our own interests if we allow ourselves to know ourselves really well. And that can really be a key to learning another language, knowing yourself well enough to say, ah, 
this is what I like. Oh, this subject that I can't find in language number one, and I can find it in language number two. Oh, how fantastic that I can merge these two things. I have the opposite problem in Spanish is that I'm really looking for content that I, I know that I love in English. And for me, it's harder to find that content or the same content that's presented in a way that I like in Spanish in like podcasts and things like that. So I'm having the opposite problem. I think people who are learning English are lucky in one sense in that there's just so much media out there for them to consume that once you know what your interests are, then it's just a matter of finding where they do those things. So for you, that ended up being through books. And what else can you tell me about learning a language on your own terms? I remember back in the day when I was learning English in my early 20s, I was studying piano at the music conservatory. One important topic for me was music theory, piano technique. And then I went on to learn more about learning how to learn. I want to learn how to, for example, I remember that I was using many materials on ear training. So in music school, we had our methods and we had a teacher like a weekly lesson, but I thought that was not enough. And I thought that, okay, maybe if I want to improve my listening skills when trying to listen for specific things connected to the music language, I need more practice. And then later on, I thought that maybe that was similar to what happened in typical language lessons, because sometimes we don't get enough practice while we are getting that lesson. And the same is with ear training, because you need to put in an awful lot of work and effort and time in order to get better. And that's why I started looking like to supplement the materials, the content or the training that I was getting at music school. And for some reason, I started looking for that in English. And I even got some audio programs that taught you how to, uh, there's something called relative pitch. It's like the lesser known brother of absolute pitch or perfect pitch. Mm -hmm. Relative pitch is when you are trying to learn how to understand or get the difference between two distances. For example, there's a, a music interval could be like a second, uh, like a tone or half tone or a third or a fifth. And so if I listen to a sound, what's the corresponding fifth, like the upper, the ascending or descending. And I did that training in English. So that's when I realized that this is a tool and this is something that I can use to get better in other things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this ear training or these audio programs were helping me to learn music, but at the same time, I was improving my listening skills in English. I don't know if you realized it at the time, but also even after the fact, you said, oh, wait a minute, there's something to this. For example, just for our listeners out there, you are in our Accent Teachers Academy. You came yesterday to what we call Feedback Club. And if you remember, yesterday we were reading a complex text. And what I mean is the sentences were complex. So there were a lot of commas, there were a lot of ands and ors and buts. And we were analyzing how, if you're talking about relative pitch, we were talking about the intonation and we said, oh, here's some extra information or this person is being sarcastic right here and they're doing a little aside. And do you remember yesterday how we were saying like, oh, we want to raise our, our baseline pitch to where it normally was and just play with that intonation a little bit. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Have you also heard, because I think that we're going to talk a lot, I think, about the musical side of languages and pronunciation. And right now, it seems like you've always had a passion for music and you had to learn English in school. But what caused you, do you think, to become passionate about the language of English? Was it the idea that, oh, all this information is available, it just happens to be in English? Is that what made you passionate about the language or was it something else? I would say that there was the content available in English. Mm -hmm. And maybe my idea on 
the source of this content because in my early 20s i also started learning about personal development and then about online business and i had like a strong connection and i thought that this was a very american thing like from the united states and given that i was able to read in english i didn't want to read translations because it made sense to try to read that in english even though in my teenage years i had my private lessons were British English. After a few years, I realized that I, I also like better the sound of American English. And so it all came together and the topics, personal development and like this self-help topics. Mm -hmm. The United States has such a long tradition. There's a wealth of content, maybe starting maybe even back to the 19th century. But in the 20th century, there were so many books. There are many books are became more popular in the recent decades. But this started many years ago, like 100 years ago. There are authors that maybe planted the, the seeds for what then became like a bigger movement. And that's how I started developing also part of my American identity. Mm -hmm. Because I like to think about languages as something that when we start learning a language, we are at the same time, we are becoming different persons. It's not that we have split personalities or something like that, but mm -hmm. we start adding different aspects of mm -hmm. that culture that we connected to the language that we are learning. That was very interesting to me. And then I experienced that with other languages after English. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. And just yesterday, I was talking to one of my clients. He's Ukrainian and he's a bit of a polyglot. He speaks French and English and Ukrainian and Russian and a little bit of sp in Spanish, and he's learning Italian right now. And he got an Italian teacher, and his Italian coach said, hey, when you speak Italian, you sound Mexican. And of course, that makes sense. And he told me that he reflected on this, and he said, I have my personality in French. He's like, I know who I am when I'm speaking French. I know that side of me. I don't know who I am when I'm speaking Spanish. And he said he's going to Italy for a couple of months. He's leaving tomorrow. And he really said it's a way for him to find himself in Italian and to really differentiate that. Like he might not know what his voice really sounds like in Spanish yet, because there's so many different Spanish or I should say accents and dialects in Spanish. That in itself is probably a challenge. Who am I in Spanish? Which kind of Spanish? So he's working on Italian right now. And he said maybe when he has that established, that kind of personality, that voice, then he can maybe further define how he sounds in Spanish. Because you've touched on something I think that's super interesting. When people code switch, when they go from one language to another, before they can do that, they often say, I just don't I just don't feel like myself in this other language. And they haven't really found that way to express themselves. And it can be surprising because sometimes you feel very free in one language and you're able to really use a certain side of your personality that you don't get to use in another language. And that could be cultural, that could be language. So I think what you touched on is really at the heart of like how we speak and how we connect in different languages and with different people in a way. So I wanted to see if I could maybe ask you a question going towards personality and identity, let's say. Can you talk a little bit about your personal identity in terms of not necessarily hobbies or skills, or can you tell us a little bit about however you define it, but in terms of like meditation and thinking about who you are in languages, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. And this is a topic very dear to me, and I, I really like this aspect of personality and identity and how we see ourselves when we are learning a new language. And I think that's always evident when we are trying to improve our accent and our pronunciation, because sometimes there's people who think that they, they are not entitled to 
improve their pronunciation and they should have an accent, a foreign accent. And, and I never saw that this like that. And I always, maybe not always, but as far as I can remember, maybe in starting on my early 20s, I'm going always back to the, the early 20s because that's the, the point when I realized that something I can learn the way I like it. And maybe at, at that point, I, I decided that I wanted to improve my accent. If I had a foreign accent, I want to try to get rid of as much as possible. And I think one aspect of personality, I don't know if this is exactly what you were asking me, because I'm leaning more towards the identity part or aspect. But I was thinking that in, in the way that language learning shapes our personality, we need to be willing to give up the being exclusive on our native language. And I think that's a big part. And sometimes I think that we are not ready to do it or we are not willing to do it because we want to show that and we don't have space for more than a big identity. Or we feel like, for example, I could feel, let's say that I wouldn't want to give up my Argentinian personality. I would feel like if I become or if I sound more American or more Italian while speaking Italian, I would be less Argentinian. Mm. So that's one, I think that... The, for some people, they start seeing that as competing aspects. They're competing all within, within yourself. Mm, rather than, I think, opening up and accepting the uh, fact that I can be more than one thing. And yeah. I usually am in life, but we don't always think about it in language. And sometimes there's societal pressures, right, to look a certain way or sound a certain way. And to me, this idea of accent and language, to me, it's just I, I am who I am, but I'm putting on different clothes. I wear I wear certain clothes when I go to a conference versus certain clothes when I go to the gym versus when I go to hang out, right, or I go on a date. There's certain things that I just put on and I take off, right? It doesn't change essentially who I am, but it's a different side of me. And that's how I think of accents. I think of them as like jackets that you can put on and take off whenever you want, as long as you know that's what you're doing. It doesn't change who you are. And who you are lends itself to probably all of our different accents because that's our personhood. And who we are and the journeys we've gone through, that all comes out of our mouth, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, but we can decide how much or how little of that. So I think it's really interesting that you brought up the identity aspect of it. I don't know if there's a, if there's a lot of people you get to talk about with this, but when we're in our, our Accent Teachers Academy, we talk a lot about like identity and things like this. And there's a guy that I want you to meet. His name is Manol, and he's very much into like identity and language and identity and accent. So I want to introduce you to him because I think that would be a, a person that you would really like. And the other reason I ask is because I feel like our personhood is also related to our hobbies. And I think you, you must have enjoyed piano from a very young age, right? I, I'm guessing since you took lessons and things like that. So that must have been a hobby that you then found a lot of information in English, among other things. And for you in your 20s, what sparked the idea or if you can give us a story about you realizing that these hobbies and that information and that, that joy of finding information was really a key to the skill of the language. How did the mm -hmm. hobbies play into it? Okay. And did you, have any, did you have any experiences like that? Actually, I started learning piano after my 20s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I worked as a piano teacher for a few years. And I was thinking while we were talking about identity, I thought that maybe this comes to me easily because I, I am many things. So I'm a language coach at, this, at the moment, but I am also on, an author, I'm an online course a creator. So I do different things. So I'm not attached. I don't feel particularly attached to any of them in particular. And maybe this makes it even easier for me to um, connect to languages and to 
keep them separate because I can speak in different languages and I can have like different embodiments or mm. ways of being in, diff in different languages. So I started learning piano, I think I was 21 or 22, but at home, I have um, an elder brother who is a keyboard teacher and, and my younger brother, he plays a guitar. So at home there were other musicians. And I was listening to music during my teenage years. I, I was listening to music all the time. And I got into the piano or piano learning because I started listening to classical music. And at some point I wanted to play that music. And I started learning on my own. And so I learned how to read the treble clef. And so the piano sheet music, I learned to, to do it on my own. And then I joined the music school. And all the music training that I had in the music school was in Spanish. But as I told you before, with this ear training thing, that's when I started looking for resources outside the, the music school. And first it was ear training, but the, then it was piano technique. And the thing is that when it, you, you were telling me about the challenges of learning Spanish or finding interesting content in Spanish. And sometimes for when we are learning a specific or a technical skill, I know that this can be um, very easy to find in English, but sometimes it's not so easy to find in other languages. There are many good materials created in English, or maybe there are translations available. And that was the, the, the piano technique books and videos and content that I was looking for, but there were not, I think there were maybe after a few, a couple of years after I got them, I think that there were a few translations available, but the other thing with translations, or in this case, translations into Spanish sometimes are more expensive, but they are more difficult to get. In this case, I think that the good thing for English learners is that the availability of contents and resources, something for everybody. No matter what your hobby is or your interest, or yeah. you might not even know, right? But if you start digging around, you'll say you will find things that you never even knew about, which I think is a huge, yeah, it's a huge advantage. And just to mention, I know I sent you a link earlier today on Discord. There are so many servers, groups of people out there doing their thing and who are, who are grouped by interest. I, I know I just sent you one that's a Spanish-English server. There's another one called the, the Global Federation of Languages. And there's a lot of Discord servers for people that are grouped around an interest. I'm in one, I'm in a Discord server about cheese. I'm not kidding. It's called Cheese Cord. Like you can find Discord servers for everybody and everything. I'm sure there's groups of kittens, kitten lovers out there or whatever. And so one thing to do is to find that community of people who are interested in a thing and the medium just happens to be English. So just to say for anybody out there who's not on Discord yet, that's where I have my community. And also that's where you can find all these other communities where it might be a gateway for you to explore your interest in another language, be it in English, be it in Spanish, in whatever language. And can I also quickly ask you, coming back to like identity and a little bit about skills and your ear training, maybe this played a part in it, but what do you notice from having lived in Argentina and then moving to Uruguay, what have you noticed about, if anything, your identity, anything you've noticed about it? Has it changed? Have you noticed little things in the language, how you speak? Can you speak a little bit to that life change that you made and how that might be affecting both language and accent for you? Yeah, that's also one of my favorite topics because that's something that many people hear when they learn that I'm Argentinian. They ask me about Argentina, but they also usually the, this topic of the accent or pronunciation differences, eventually it arises in, in a conversation. The, the first time that I visited Uruguay was in the end of 2021. 
And even though it's so close to Buenos Aires and it's just a couple hours escape of ferry, I just came here a couple of years ago. And up until that point, I thought that I was the Spanish accent and the variety was very similar to the one that we spoke in Buenos Aires. And Can I interrupt you for so a second? We have Can this... you speak to the, the, the kind of Spanish that is for our listeners who don't know? There is a certain, I, I don't know if you would call that a dialect or an accent, but there's a certain thing there. Can you talk a little bit about that for a second? Yeah, so we have many different Spanish varieties. Like the main difference would be like that you can hear in Latin America and then Spain, European Spanish and Latin Spanish. But then you have Argentinian Spanish and Uruguayan Spanish. And one of the most popular accents in Argentina is Rio Platense Spanish. Rio Platense Spanish, it's a specific variety that's spoken in Buenos Aires. Most in Buenos Aires is around the Rio de la Plata. And that Rio de la Plata that separates Buenos Aires and Uruguay. So there are lots of commonalities in the sounds and the intonation, but there are differences as well. And for most people, if you ask anyone from Buenos Aires or Uruguay, the answer you're going to get is that the differences between Rio Platense Spanish from Buenos Aires versus from Uruguay, they will tell you that there is not very different in the way they pronounce the sounds and the intonation. And I would argue that maybe there, there are quite a few differences connected to the intonation mostly, because maybe the, the specific sounds that you, you get in both countries or in Buenos Aires and Uruguay are pretty much the same. In both countries, we have the cheismo and we say sho instead of yo, for example, mm -hmm. to refer to I, the mm -hmm. first person. But then when we come to the intonation, I noticed that this, there's a specific melody that is very distinct to that of Argentina. Okay, yeah, thanks for clarifying that, because I think most people, they know there's varieties of Spanish, but they might not know this, Rio Platense, and why it's named that, because it's complicated for some of us to say. And mm -hmm. now it makes sense where that comes from and some of the little differences, right? I know for me, is it sh or is it j? There are places, for example, the north of Argentina or even in, in other countries where there's a difference between show and jaw. Mm, okay, um, could be either. At this moment, because it also it changes throughout the years, maybe mm. 50 years ago it was different in Buenos Aires, but as of now, it's more like the word she, mm. for example. I gotcha, I gotcha. And yeah. so it, it sounds like show. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That could be a difference that changes throughout time or place in the same time. It could be yeah. sh or j in there, which has a couple of small differences. And I know that I would not be able to say, oh, this is Rio Platense, but from here versus here. I wouldn't be able to do that. Is that something that you're able to notice now that you're in Argentina as well? You can point out and say, oh, this person's maybe from here or from this city or around here. Are you able to pick out those small differences? And are they able to pick it out in you? I have to say that I got more experience now because it's been a year since I moved to Uruguay to Montevideo. I live in Montevideo. There's also another thing that there's maybe it would be like a broad generalization if you say that everybody in Uruguay speaks the same way or they speak everybody like Buenos Aires. It's not like that because even the people from Uruguay, they make this distinction between Montevideo and like the, the rest of the country. And so I would say that it's quite easy to tell for me, for example, if I listen to a person that comes from outside Montevideo, from Uruguay, other place, other parts in Uruguay, I can say that's easier to tell than when I hear somebody from Montevideo versus Buenos Aires. It depends on how, how strong is the, the intonation. Putting aside the vocab, because that's always telling. I can tell you like a very short a snippet. This is a short story. After a couple of months moving here, 
there was a technician here at home that was helping me to do some some work and we were talking for an hour and after that i told him a word i don't know i'm not sure how that word is in english maybe i need to look that up but in spanish in argentina we say leopardo and in Uruguay, it turns out that they say so they have a, a different word mm. for that so the telgopor is the stuff for example when you buy something new this white stuff that you mm-hmm. get to in with the packaging mm-hmm. how's that called oh well, we would call it the packaging right maybe it's styrofoam or sometimes it's those little pl- yeah, styrofoam. yeah think that, that's packaging the yeah mm-hmm. so in argentina that's telgopor and in Uruguay, that's mm-hmm. and after an hour of talking in spanish that's when he has you're not from here and that's when i say that that wrong word one word <laughs> there was just one word after one hour mm. and so you asked me about can they tell that i'm argentina so many people don't tell and that was two months after i moved here so it's oh. not that i was living here for years i remember that during the first month or so i tried to fitting or maybe to blend more with the locals here maybe i try a little harder and sounding a bit more your way in but then i thought i don't want to lose my argentinian part because here when we are speaking i, I think this is different when we are speaking about and that's an interesting topic and that's another different thing in my opinion when we are speaking about different accents or dialects of the same language and that's when at least for me that's where I draw the line. I don't want sound, at least. Mm-hmm. Argentina and Uruguay at the same time, or depending on the situations, or maybe when I'm in Uruguay, sound more like, in, and in Argentina, sound like Argentinian. At this point, I think that there's many things that I cannot change or are hard to change. Uh, maybe they are very ingrained. So th- I already made m- many changes mm-hmm. that I'm not aware of, mm-hmm. because I've been told many times that many people, even people with a trained ear, maybe actors or musicians, that they think that I'm Uruguayan. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's sometimes I just unconsciously, because it's not that I'm even trying now. Especially if, if I'm speaking with somebody who has a strong accent, that has a like, strong intonation like the Uruguayan yeah. way. It's like an instinct, maybe. When we are able to do that, we try to do it because it's like a way to connect better with the uh, other human being, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. We may not do it consciously, but not only our speech, but our mannerisms too. We just, we end up trying to fit in, right? We just end up sounding like the people we spend the most amount of time with. So in one way, we can control it by who we're spending time with. And also the awareness that like, oh, we all end up sounding like the people we hang out with makes sense. But also you, you've had literal ear training. You've taken a course on how to train your ear. So you've probably got some skills that other people may not have. So there's this thing that we just subconsciously blend in. There's this other thing that consciously you might have skills or skills that used to be conscious that are now automatic and ingrained and that other people may not have. So some people are just better at it either by study or by nature. They just have a better ear for those things and they pick them up and also they produce them in a way that's a little bit easier for them. So can you tell us a little more about two things? Number one, can you give us an example? You're, you're talking about this Uruguayan intonation and how it's different. Can you possibly give us an example of that? And then number two, can you tell us a little more about this ear training that you went through? What does that encompass usually? So you want me to say like phrase in your way in Spanish and versus uh, Argentinian, Argentinian if you can. That's... Yeah. Can you illustrate a difference? And if not, that's okay. No, I, I, I can try it. I'm wondering if you can think of a specific example or a story from when you noticed and maybe it just caught you off guard a little bit. Because I know intonation, in English at least, can give us information that's not just the words, but it can tell us how somebody's feeling, how they want us to feel, what they want us to do. It can load a lot of extra 
information besides just words, at least in English and in other languages, they use intonation in different ways. So it might be for a purpose or it might just be a thing that people do without any purpose. You know what I mean? Maybe you can tell me a phrase and then I try to. Oh, okay. I'll give you an example. Like for me in Spanish, sometimes, you know how the grammar may not change for a question, but the intonation, at least in Mexico, is going to go up for a question. So sometimes because I'm following along the words, sometimes I don't know if this person is telling me something or asking me something until the end. And so for me, that's an intonation thing that I'm trying to get better at hearing and and just picking out really quickly. Do they want to answer to a question? And also maybe it's a rhetorical question, so there's something in there too. Yeah. And how people, for me, at least in English, especially how people use sarcasm very much and how they ride the fence on there. So I don't know if it's the same use of intonation change in Spanish. It seems like you noticed something. So for example, and maybe not with words, but you could also maybe hum an example like, oh, Argentinian would say, <laughs> and Uruguayan would say, <laughs> maybe it's just the music in your head that you're remembering. Yeah, if you can hum it, that would work too. Sometimes I think that the Argentinian intonation is more plain Mm. or it's more flat. Mm. For example, an Argentinian could say, el otro día fui a verte a tu casa. And maybe in your way, el otro día fui a verte a tu casa. El otro día fui a verte a tu casa. You can hear that little hook at the end. Yes, exactly. This is exactly what I was looking for. Like it's more... There's some variation in the melody a little bit. You can hear it go up, like tick up a little bit here and there. So, yeah, and I know it's hard to put into words sometimes what I'm hearing, and it's harder even to use the words as the example. So sometimes just the musicality of that, I feel like, is something we know it when we hear it, but even if we can't explain it. And that's why I was asking about your ear training. Do you remember, like what they taught you. For example, they taught me how to do this. Do you remember any of the key points of what somebody might learn when they're taking an ear training course? Because we don't all have that. When I used to work as a piano teacher, part of what I do, I work with different music styles. And the people who wanted to learn how to play pop music, for example, rock music, they there were people who didn't want to learn how to read shit music. As there's mm-hmm. people who don't want to maybe learn how to read books in a foreign language. They don't want to learn how to write. They just want to be able to speak and to have conversations. So there's people who want to get conversational in piano playing. Mm-hmm. And for those people, I tried to help them to learn this ear training, build some basic skills in ear training. And there's an author that I, that I really like. Her name is Maria Carmen Aguilar. She's from Argentina and she is a choir director. No so that's a tricky one, choir. <laughs> the spelling choir. of it, yeah. C-H-O-I-R. Yeah, yeah it's not choir. really congruous to yeah. other words. So she's a great choir director and fantastic ear training teacher. And so the a very easy exercise is to tell, for example, you can get started with something as easy as listening to two sounds and telling, are they the same sound? For example, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I used to play this on the piano. Mm-hmm. So we would start with something very easy to trying to differentiate between the same sound. First step would be same sound or different sound. And then maybe a second step would be is it ascending or descending? Is it upwards or goes down? And then for how long, like the, the distance? And then we can get more specific about that. Wait, can I pause um, you for a second? Yeah. When you say how long, do you mean the duration of time I'm playing this note? Or do you mean how far in distance on the scale? Like how far did oh, I how jump? far in distance? Okay. Sorry, that was a duration. Yeah, okay. how far? The, okay. the distance was, mm-hmm. yeah. So some basic ear training might include, are they the same or different? The direction, mm-hmm. am I going up or down? 
how far right. am I going up or down? And how yeah. long did I hold this sound? Correct? Yeah, maybe the the length wouldn't be as important. But I, I focus just on the, on the, the first three. Are, are hmm. same or different? And then do they go up or down? And then how far? Mm. And maybe the closest you, you go when speaking about the distance, those are very tricky. Mm. Many people, they, they cannot tell. That's very tricky. And you can go even, this would be like half tone. So that's a very, when you have a black and a white key on the piano, are there distances and some languages, maybe they, they have some distinctions, like quarter tone. Mm. They can get even more specific. So they have even shorter distances. And we're not even talking about tones, right? Asian languages or all the languages that I have. Because I think that at the moment that I'm learning ties, and I think that my, this year training helped me a lot to dealing with uh, the five Thai tones. There are languages that have more tones. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a syllable that can be like the maintaining a tone, or it can be go up or down, or it goes up and down, or up or down and up, mm -hmm. many variations. And to me, that sounds like fun. This sounds like <laughs> an, another year training exercise, but that's like the, the frame that I try to... Yeah. Uh, and, and in tonal languages, the change in that pitch or all of those put together, the change, the duration, the direction, all of those put together, that changes the meaning of the word. The vocabulary word becomes different. And yeah. that's really yeah. important. A lot of people run away screaming from tonal languages because it's a lot for them to handle. But for you, you're yeah. like, oh, it's just another challenge. It's it's really interesting for me. But in English, let's say as one language, we use our intonation, as we said, for that extra information. So you can get by in English without being very yeah. good at intonation, right? If we're talking about duration, maybe we're talking more about syllable stress or syllable length and word stress and rhythm. So it might be harder for somebody to understand you if you don't have the, the length or the duration quite right. But we, we could live without intonation in English. It doesn't affect our vocabulary, but we really, I think, connect with people once we know what feeling is behind what they're saying or their intentions yeah. behind their words. And that's where we can pick up a lot of that intonation. So for me, it's my favorite subject is to talk about intonation in English. What else can I get? What can I squeeze out of what this person is saying? And also as a speaker, what more can I show? Or in some cases, what can I hide? For example, if I'm angry at somebody, I can choose a different intonation to hide that as much as I can. So for me, I think your ear training is, is a real skill that's helped you in so many ways. And most of us don't have that, but we could maybe start with those three or four things just to get an idea and maybe even do it ourselves to kind of see in language, how can that be helpful for me? Because I don't know if you're very aware, but there's these things called whistled languages. Have you ever heard of whistled languages? I have. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. There, I know there are, I've heard of languages that have a specific sound that does sound like very strange to produce. Yeah. With specific movements that with one makes with a throat or uh -huh. um, like clicking sounds. And Also, if we think of two things, we've been talking a lot about music lately. That's like what we call the prosody of the language. And then in terms of pronunciation, there are some specific sounds that are the building blocks in that language that might be a sound that's like a click sound. So since we're talking about vocabulary, we said in tonal languages, tone plays a part of vocabulary. This click might be a sound, for example, in English, the difference between bag and back, right? That's one sound that makes a difference. This click sound might be the difference between word number one and word number two. So it could be that, it could be a pronunciation thing. I was thinking more of languages where there's a whistled variation 
of the language. For example, think of sign languages, signed languages, let's say. A lot of languages have a signed version of that language, and they even have accents, right? Signed languages have different accents. So in some languages, you have signed languages, and also in languages, you have whistled kind of versions. And I was thinking this is very interesting for your ear training as well to hear the changes in pitch, because I feel like if our ear is good, we can pick up so much more information and I might not even hear the difference of a k and a g between back and bag. And I don't know if this is something you're aware of, but even in the phonetics of English, there are changes in pitch in pronunciation. For example, if I think of the vowel e as in beat, e versus oo as in boot, in general, most people use a higher frequency, a higher pitch for e than oo, right? You don't have to. You can say oo in a very in a very high pitch if you want to. But generally our default is that even the sounds, our pronunciation sounds have different pitches. So if I'm in another room and I hear like something on TV, I can still make that out. Do you know what I mean? So I'm feeling yeah. like this ear training thing is such a fundamental thing that most people don't do. And it can be a real, a huge skill for that. So I feel like you're way ahead of the pack here. I don't know. Let's see, for example, with Thai, at the moment I'm training, I'm trying to get better at understanding, but ask me again when I start speaking, but that's when it can get embarrassing, right? And we start mixing the tones and you're meaning embarrassing things all of a sudden. So let's see how it goes. But at the moment I'm, I think I'm doing well, Yeah. getting better with comprehension. So I just wanted to say that there are so many people who are afraid of Asian languages or maybe many of these tonal languages. And as you said, the English language, specifically like the American English, is so challenging. And they had so many challenges right in their ingrained, and we are not aware of them. After English, I went on to learn German, Portuguese, and Italian at the moment I'm learning Thai. And I always say that so far, I think that English remains, and is, I feel like it's the most challenging pronunciation system that I know, I would argue that maybe it's one of the most challenging uh, out there because there's so many sounds and it's so unpredictable, so many exceptions, and it's so hard to tell when you're reading something, ah, should I say this? Mm -hmm. And so it's one of the biggest challenges, but as I said, with the same with the uh, tonal languages, that sort of makes it fun. And that's what makes it so interesting to me to try to get better at it and to try to continue improving. It's a, it's a challenge. You enjoy it. It's a hobby. It's a skill. Like to me, yeah, there's setbacks and you make mistakes, but that's how we learn and that's how we get better. And we feel so good when we're getting better and we learn skill upon skill upon skill. And English is really complex, not only, as you said, in like the grammar and stuff, but too maybe just American English in one way, because our intonation seems to be uh, a lot more, let's say, I don't want to say pronounced, I want to say more expressive, right? In English, we're, we seem to be a lot more dramatic in our speech. So mm. picking all of that up and getting all the extra subtleties, that's just like, the let's say, the cherry on top. And most people don't yes. do that from the beginning. But boy, wouldn't it be amazing if they could do some ear training in the beginning so that they were picking up all that extra stuff along the way and didn't wait until they were at a high enough level to say, okay, now I can think about intonation. Because what a shame that you missed all of that other stuff along the way. There was probably a lot to pick up on there. Yeah. And for me, I, I can hear that you have all this experience in learning. You've been on both sides of things. You have these amazing viewpoints that I think would help any learner of any language. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and how you can help people right now? I know you have a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a podcast in Spanish. The name is Poder Aprender. And with this podcast, my intention is to empower learners, language learners, 
people who want to learn skills, pick up new hobbies and skills, and they want to get better at different things. And so I share my personal experiences there and also experiences from other learners or different things that I think are interesting to help us to become better at learning. That's great. Can you translate what the words mean in Spanish for those of us out there in the audience who don't speak Spanish? And there, the meaning of poder aprender is to be able to learn, but it's also like the power to learn. So being able and the power. So that's like in Spanish, poder, that functions as a verb and no, as a noun at the same time. So you can read it both ways and you can find it on poderaprender.com or, and it's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and major podcast platforms out there. And it's also on YouTube, Poder Aprender. Perfect, perfect. And we're going to have the link, of course, in the show notes down there. And today was really wonderful. I love talking to you just in general. You're a great addition to our teachers group. And to me, the musical thing, the intonation thing, that link between our ear and our brain, and as you said, what, what I end up producing is really interesting. We're not taught that usually in school. We have to have a passion for it. We need to find some kind of hobby in a way that we can increase our skills through the hobby as well. And I wanted to remind everybody that we were talking about identity, how important identity is to all of us and how we can open ourselves up to thinking about it in a different way rather than, oh, I have to be this or this, or I'm going to lose myself in one language or accent in another. And probably the most important thing, I think the big theme is how to learn any language on your own terms, because your podcast is not just about learning Spanish, it's in Spanish, but correct me if I'm wrong, it's a podcast for anybody who's learning any language. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. There are native Spanish speakers who listen to the podcast, but there are English native speakers or people from, they come from other languages that they are practicing their Spanish. And at the same time, they're learning about how to learn languages and other things. It's pretty much the same as I was, that I told about when I was learning ear training in English. So you can use my podcast to practice Spanish, or if you already know Spanish, you can use it to learn other languages or other skills. Yeah, actually, that's what I'm planning on listening for. Because for me, it gives me practice in Spanish, but also it gives me the skills at the same time that I can apply to Spanish or to other things as well, too. So it sounds like a great podcast. I love listening to your voice. I feel like you have a nice, smooth, mellow voice. And I'm interested to hear how your voice and personality might sound a little bit different in Spanish because of what we talked about earlier. So I wanted to say thank you so much, Walter, for joining us today. I think we've all learned a lot from this really interesting discussion. And I, I would love to talk to you again another time later on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Thanks again, Walter. And hopefully we'll see you soon. Thank Yay. you so much. See you soon then. Have a good one. Bye-bye. If you found this episode helpful in any way, please subscribe and leave a review. It's actually really helpful to me. Now, before I go, I have two tasks for you to do. First, I want you to register and come to my free monthly masterclass. They're on the last Thursday of the month. In just one hour, you're gonna master a specific American accent skill. For example, the TH sound or rhythm. The Zoom registration link actually changes each month. So the second and maybe more important thing I wanna ask you to do is to sign up for my mailing list because you're gonna get the registration link each month and you're gonna get bonus materials before and after the masterclass that I only send to my email list subscribers. The email opt-in link is down in the show notes. Be sure to sign up for my mailing list and come to the monthly masterclass for free. I'm Bianca, your personal American accent coach, and I want you to know that your voice is your choice. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.